Welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am his fellow spacecaster, John Polking. And this is the Spacecast, where we review television shows that were canceled during or after their first and only season. Isn't that right, John? That is right. We have put our heads into the simulators and we have explored all the universes where you could be listening to this so that we can understand what these shows did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we are talking about the almost indescribable The Midnight Gospel on Netflix. But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been watching. Ian, what is on your plate? Uh, I just saw Glass Onion in a theater. Mia too. Yes, I did. The way it was meant to be seen. Uh-huh. On the big screen. And with these accents. Yes, sir. Just like Alvin and the Chipmunks chipwrecked. That is... A perfect analogy. What did you think of Glass Onion? I loved it. I mean, it's a visual movie for sure. I was glad I saw it in a theater. Um, I don't think the story is quite as tight or streamlined as Knives Out, but I also don't really think it's supposed to be. It was not the first movie, and I liked that. It wasn't just Hangover 2 being exactly like Hangover (laughs) 1, you know? Like, it's risky. I think a lot of people have problems with it. I think I had some problems with it, but it was a cool movie. It was a different kind of mystery. Daniel Craig bothered me at first, but then there was a reason for that. And I was glad that there was a reason for that in the story. Is it because you didn't like that he got to have his last conversation with Stephen Sondheim and you didn't? What? Because Stephen Sondheim is zooming with uh, Daniel Craig in the bathtub in the beginning of the movie. Oh, right, right, right. Of course. I was too focused on Kareem (laughs) Abdul-Jabbar. But I also saw that uh, at the end of the movie, in the credits, it was special thanks to Angela Lansbury and Stephen Sondheim. It was sweet. It was their last screen rolls, and it was a Zoom call. But still, I loved it, too. I thought it was really tight and fun and exciting. And the way it carried itself and the way it structured itself was really exciting and fun and funny and the cast is just lights out fantastic i love them i didn't love the way they were all introduced it bothered me a little bit because i mean you get exactly who they are right off the bat it was a little spoon feedy and they're all over the top characters so i think just having that be like one two three four five made me be like uh am i gonna like this um and then i did but it's it's just the beginning is a lot. Could you could you see where I'm coming from there? I can a little bit, but it also needed to be clear and set things up so that everything could pay off later. That's the thing I love about Ryan Johnson as a storyteller. He knows the conventions of the genres that he's playing in, and he respects them enough to play to their highest intelligence without like winking at them constantly. So he knows that you need to introduce all of these over-the-top characters and ham-fisted strategies. He knows that you need to set up the mystery in a clear way, but it also isn't too coy about it. Uh, No, it's not coy about it at all. And that was, I think, where I'm getting at. 
But I do know what you mean. It's kind of like me and Robbie were talking about how, okay, I think we've talked on this podcast before about how I do not like Baby Driver. And I know a lot of people that do. And it's because Edgar Wright knows the mechanics of action movies so well that he can spoof them really well. But then when he tries to make an actual action movie, it felt a little bit cookie cutter to me. Oh, dude, I could not disagree with you more on Baby Driver or on how you parallel that to Glass Onion. I think that he knows the mechanics of them and therefore he can elevate it beyond something that is just a standard version of that thing and makes it the best possible version of that thing. In Ryan Johnson's case, the whodunit. In Edgar Wright's case, the action movie, as well as the horror movie with Last Night in Soho. I do want to see that. I, I still haven't. Well, I don't think you deserve to see it after not liking Baby Driver. I mean, look, the car chases are great, and the way it's put to music is awesome. The dialogue is piss poor. A lot of the surprises just feel a little bit cheap and like they don't really pay off when it comes to the story. Like, why is John Hamm the bad guy at the end? It should have been Jamie Foxx. Even though I liked the way Jamie Foxx was killed off, then it just made the last third of the movie feel like nothing to me. Wow. I could not disagree with you more. So let's just say that it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! In April 2020, the Midnight Gospel used trippy psychedelic animation to meditate on life's biggest questions. However, the trip ended sooner than anticipated, as this one was canceled after one season. Ian, the Midnight Gospel is... A lot. In my eyes, one of the most difficult shows to describe that we have tackled, wouldn't you say? It's like trying to describe a beautiful sculpture over an audio medium, okay? Like, yeah, I could talk about how David has immaculately sculpted buttocks, John. Oh, the best buttocks. You can't appreciate the buttocks unless you see it. No, you can't imagine the smoothness on the ridges. You can't imagine the dimples of the cheeks without physically seeing it. Nor can you fully, I think, appreciate or at least comprehend the vibe that is the Midnight Gospel. Because I would say more than anything, it is a vibe and an experience than a story. Right. Yeah. I actually listened to an interview with Duncan Trussell where he talked about specifically he wanted people to zone in and out and wanted you to be able to just catch part of it and be like, whoa, and then, you know, keep doing your dishes. I think that's a fair way to digest this story. Like I had Elise watch the first like five minutes of one of the episodes just so she could kind of understand what the thing was. And she just walked away from it and be like, I can't stand this, and immediately dismissed it, which I get. It's not something that's for everyone, but it was something that was well-regarded at the time. It had a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 89% audience score. It also carries an 82 on Metacritic, so it is a very specific vision, but a well-regarded one. I think it's important to set up what actually the Midnight Gospel is. So it is an adult animated series that essentially pairs a action adventure 
psychedelic comedy style, visual style. It's a space trip. A space trip. Fantastic way to describe it. So it combines this space trip across many different dimensions with isolated conversations about everything from drugs to meditation to the nature of death. And these conversations are very calm and soothing and calculated, while the visuals surrounding them are very colorful and loud and insane. Would you add anything to that? I think insane is definitely a simple way of saying it. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, I know it's, it's difficult to describe, but the visuals can range anywhere from just some cool imagery that's very colorful, that's something you wouldn't expect, to a direct interpretation of what's being talked about, yeah. to an off-the-beaten-path and then jump onto another planet and then teleport into another universe metaphor for what is being talked about. The least you could say about this thing is that it is ambitious as all heck. And it comes from the two minds of Pendleton Ward, who created Adventure Time. Ian, I never oh, yeah. watched Adventure Time. Did you? I love Adventure Time. I've seen all of it. I've seen all of it multiple times. So Pendleton Ward has a very specific style to him. I think what he does best is creating deep canon to the space in which the animation inhabits. So Adventure Time on the surface is a boy and a shape-shifting dog just going on adventures and fighting monsters so they can get buried treasure. Then what it evolves into over the course of, I think, 10 seasons, and I'll just go ahead and say like 160, 15, 10 to 15 minute episodes is a story about what it is to be human. And Finn is an orphan and he's always, he's the last human on earth and what it means to be, to exist. And I, I mean, there's a whole story arc where the universe like, rips itself open and he's stuck in another version of himself. And this is a children's show. Mm -hmm. And then like his long lost father comes back and then Finn just wants to connect with him. But then his dad actually doesn't like him and has no interest in him. And Finn has to deal with what does that mean now? Like that all I've wanted to do is know my father and he doesn't care about me at all. And it gets into these really deep themes about family and life and love and the universe. And Midnight Gospel, to me, takes what he was already doing in <laughs> in a children's format and then puts it on three tabs of acid <laughs> and takes it to, I think, the height of its adult spiritual intelligence. I think that's completely fair. And watching it, you could see how those big themes that were established at Adventure Time are evolved into these conversations that the other co-creator, Duncan Trussell, imbues it with. So a lot of the audio that comprises these conversations in The Midnight Gospel comes from Duncan Trussell's podcast, which is called The Duncan Trussell Family Hour. 
it's been running since 2012. And apparently while Pendleton Ward was working on Adventure Time, just reached out to Duncan Trussell was like, dude, your conversations are deep and exciting. And I want to try to find a way to adapt this into an animated format. So when Pendleton Ward left Adventure Time, he and Duncan Trussell got together. They pitched the show to Netflix. One of the cool things that I thought was once they had this idea of we're going to take these podcasts, we're going to adapt them into this weird psychedelic space trip. And at the end of every episode, the world that we are inhabiting is basically going to blow up in the most spectacular and interesting fashion. They put together a writer's summit for two weeks and they brought together people like Johnny Pemberton, as well as Emo Phillips and Weird Al. Did you know this? I did not, but that makes sense. These were just some of the comedic voices, but they also brought in like this occult scholar and somebody who was described in an article that I read as a white witch. I don't know what that means or how that fits into an occupation, but all of these people came together for two weeks and were just pitching ideas for how these different conversations could be visualized and ultimately end in these isolated ways. So it was this cool collaboration. There were also like 190 people that were working on this show. And you really felt the sort of kaleidoscope of voices that went into this thing, at least just from a visual perspective. Duncan Trussell, first of all, I only knew him before this from he's on one of the very first episodes of Drunk History. That's before it was a TV show. And it's oh, really? just uh Funny or Die shorts. Which Do one? Do you remember the Edison versus Tesla one with John That's C. one of my Riley favorite ones, yeah. And Crispin Glover. He's the monologist. Man, I didn't even know that, yeah. Among our friend group, that is like an epic, legendary web short, right? I mean, we quote it all the time. What's the one big quote from that again? I am trying to invent electricity here, and you look like an ass. <laughs> You look like a f***ing idiot. (laughs) Uh, So I I highly recommend it. Just look it up. Uh, John C. Riley, Drunk History. You'll find it. I'm very excited to rewatch that after this. That's the only thing I knew him from. And I was listening to him talk about this show and why it's called Midnight Gospel. And he said, gospel means good news. And midnight basically means the bad times. So every episode ends with the world it's inhabiting exploding like its own little apocalypse. But what are the things that you can take away from? What are the ways you can grow? Uh, What are the good things you can find in the bad times? I love that. And you really feel both poles of that watching this show. I think before we get into the word, the holy word of the midnight gospel. We can take a quick commercial break and we will come back with some highlights. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. 
Each episode of the Midnight Gospel is essentially an isolated conversation, but there are rules that are established early, and there is one central character that we follow, and that is Clancy, who is essentially Duncan Trussell's avatar. Clancy is purple? Pink? I'm colorblind. I was hoping you were... Is it pink? I trust you. I'm not great with hues, so I'm sure Natalie would argue with me about she'd argue with one of us i don't know why isn't she hosting this why why Uh, isn't she helping out with this she has a life where she doesn't sit down and watch 10 hours of tv every week monster monster well clancy is a purplish pinkish person who wears essentially a skirt and a big old cowboy hat i think of it like a wizard sombrero oh i like that that's a great way to describe it Clancy lives in a universe called the Chromatic Ribbon, and he lives on what's called a simulation farm. And essentially, the simulation farm is where people go into these things called simulators. They stick their heads in. Simulators, for lack of a better term, they look like big vaginas. And he sticks his head in. And that transports Clancy to a simulation of one of what could be infinite dimensions. There are some that he can go to because there's life on it. There's some that have big red X's on it that there is no life on. But he is going to these different dimensions and these different versions of planets in order to interview people on those planets for what is essentially his podcast what he calls this space cast. Yeah. What was interesting to me about this concept overall was that why bother traveling into space and across dimensions when you can simulate every planet and every dimension that is possible and simply exist in it in a simulator. Uh, It basically takes all the risk out of space travel, which uh, could be cool. Or if you're a purist, I'm sure that's, I'm sure you really want to go to Mars, but sorry, (laughs) you're just going to have to space interview a simulated Martian that is probably the exact same thing. Well, there's also variations on what level Clancy can interact with these planets, and that is told through his avatars that he chooses to simulate onto these planets. Sometimes he takes the form of like an egg Other times, it's just like a big hulked out version of himself. One time, it's a rainbow that plays music. And some of these avatars could just kind of go through walls and die and be reborn and come back. But others actually feel things, too. It depends on the avatar that Clancy is using in that particular simulation. I feel like they die at the end of each episode, too. The avatars do. Yeah. Yes. But there are some times where the simulation voice says, oh, you wanted something that was a little bit more realistic here, and it could have given you, I remember one time the simulation calls it the ecstasy of death. Yes. So Clancy goes into these simulations, he goes into these things, he interviews people on these planets. Uh, these people are followed by these I guess like moving space balls that help 
record video of the thing for the space cast. And eventually when the conversation is over, when the world that they are inhabiting is exploding, Clancy blows a horn and it takes him right back to his simulation farm, usually with some trinket that he has gathered from his explorations. Even though it was a simulation, he still has all the audio and visual from it. Yes. So he puts his interviews out there as a space cast. And he only has one subscriber whose name is Hernog Jensen. (laughs) I live for you. You're the reason I wake in the morning with a smile on my face. And to our (laughs) one subscriber, we say the same to you. Thank you. You're the reason I live. You're the reason we waste our lives watching all this TV. (laughs) Thank you, Hernog Jensen. But that's how each episode is essentially structured. As I said, everything is a little isolated, but we do have some through lines throughout the show, too. We know that Clancy has a sister that he's been ignoring, that he hasn't paid back the money that he's borrowed from her in order to invest in this simulation farm. We also know that both of his parents have died, which plays really heavily, especially into the last episode of the show. There's also rules to how the simulation is used and a specific type of green goo that you use to make sure that the simulation runs. So there are rules. But once you get to the actual simulation, it's hell's bells. Everything goes wild. Right. I mean, the world that he lives in probably takes up 15 to 20 percent of the show. And the rest of it is mostly him interviewing people in the simulations. And it's interesting because he mostly interviews people in the simulations about very heavy topics We've got mindfulness, we've got magic, we've got death, enlightenment, Buddhism, those sorts of things. But then we see that his character outside of the simulations is heavily ignoring his own problems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're seeing the conversations he's having being applied or ignored into his real life. And sometimes within a matter of minutes, they are both applied and ignored. Like there is one episode where he is talking to this guy on this planet about what it means to be enlightened. And the episode ends with Clancy being like, I am enlightened. You must call me the enlightened one now. And then he says, I'm going to go to the most boring planet in the next episode. And it's this planet that's called Planet Blank Ball. It's just an empty mass. And he's like, ah, this is boring. And he throws a water slide on the planet and he tries to distract himself again. So it's all about the lessons that we learn, the lessons that we ignore, how that shapes us into the people that we turn into. And the through line on a lot of these planets is that it's kind of like consciousness and how most of these planets and most of these people that he talks to or that we never see have existed themselves into nothing or insanity. (laughs) There's like a deeper thing that it's trying to say where most conscious beings will end up destroying themselves or being so bored that they die (laughs) or, or go insane and then die, you know? Yeah. 
I never thought of it that way because I always thought of it as a surprisingly like optimistic show. But maybe it's just because the people that are voicing these characters have such calming voices. No, I, I think it is. But I, I do think it's like uh, there's one planet that's full of bubble people where there's only <laughs> one bubble left and all the other bubbles have popped just due to loneliness. And then we see... <laughs> The one bubble talking in the mirror and he goes, he's singing actually. And it's like mirror version of me. Like, is it me looking at you or is it you looking at me? And then he like sighs and pops. And then one of the planets is full of prisoners that have gone insane from existence and ripped out their tongues. They are in what's called like an esoteric trap prison. So Clancy, when he gets to that planet, he can't talk to the actual people that are in this prison because they've all cut out their tongues. But he instead talks to this soul bird that is essentially attached to the guy who's got his tongue ripped out and continues to die in like an Edge of Tomorrow-esque way. But these are just some of the conversations that are being had generally though Clancy is only talking to one person at a time and like we said the the audio is mostly adapted from these Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcasts also sort of adapted and re-recorded to make them fit some of the tone of the things that are happening visually in it oh and you could tell from the audio to John could even you tell from the audio <laughs> When it was just conversation being recorded and when it was them in a booth recording the lines so that it could fit the story. Absolutely. And there were times, too, that I love where the two characters of the show were having a conversation and like the guest would say something like, see, Duncan, and he'd be like, Clancy, Clancy, sorry. <laughs> like they would right. correct themselves and put that into the show. And even at one point, they flicker video of them recording in the booth into yeah. this like trippy sequence. Um, okay, it's very difficult to describe, but I think, John, we should do our best to describe the first episode. Because I think the first episode is the most streamlined. It's, first of all, this, the person he's interviewing is played by Dr. Drew. Mm-hmm. The one right. guest that I actually recognized. Yeah. Exactly. And he's what? Like a health and sex expert? How would yeah. you describe him? Yeah. And he's got a, a big time podcast mm -hmm. um, and following. And so the idea is that uh, the character that Dr. Drew's playing is president of an Earth planet that has a zombie outbreak. But the conversation that happened in the podcast is him and Dr. Drew talking about drugs and legalization and the complex nature that humans have with different drugs. It all sort of culminates in this idea of there is no such thing as a good drug or a bad drug. It's all about the circumstances in which people are experiencing them and the safety that they have surrounding that. So that's right. the conversation. Let's talk about the actual visuals that accompany said conversation, because we start with Dr. Drew's character is, I think he's just called Glasses Man, but it turns out he's the president. And the president is just picking off zombies during this outbreak using a rifle on top of the White House. 
Then there is a gigantic zombie that emerges and starts eating the White House bite by bite as Dr. Drew, Glasses Man, and Clancy are escaping the White House, having this conversation about drug use. Right. It's like they're in the movie uh, Zombieland, but they're casually talking about drug use while getting in a monster truck and running over zombies and running away from them in a forest and interacting with this pregnant couple that clearly gets off on killing zombies. (laughs) They eventually make a campfire in the woods, but then a French zombie falls out of a hot air balloon and lands on the campfire. So they need to go into a mall And then that mall, they find that there are people that have made a cure for the zombie outbreak. But then the pregnant woman's partner dies. And so they help the pregnant woman give birth as they're running away from the zombies. All while talking about responsible drug use again. Of course. Yes. Need to make that clear. Eventually... They get turned into zombies, but then they realize that being a zombie isn't so bad. And so they sing this big musical number that ultimately gets interrupted and ended by the people that have created the cure and shoot them with the cure. So they are being killed by the zombies after they've been turned back into humans from being zombies. Right. And the metaphor in this is because they're talking about drugs and They're killing all the zombies. All of a sudden, when they're zombies, they live a blissful life. All of a sudden, everyone is is colored golden, and they're all happy, and they're singing, and they're probably, I guess, enlightened beings, really. And then when they're cured, they're actually brought back to pain and the pain of humanity. And that was a wild ending. So that is just one episode. And if you have no idea what we have been talking about for the last five minutes, I understand completely. And that one has the most streamlined story to it. Yeah. We also get episodes where cats are running ships and people invade other people's heads in order to turn into ice cream puking unicorns. We also have a story where Clancy and Death are following a weird little pig creature that has stolen Clancy's hose inside of a Mary Poppins-esque handbag. To give you an idea of what kind of trip this is, I have created a game that Ian does not know about. And here are the rules of the game. Well, I guess I should say the game is called Nightmare Fuel. Okay. Here's how it's played. I'm going to give you five visuals. They are either visuals that appeared in the Midnight Gospel, or they are visuals that appeared in nightmares that I had after watching the Midnight Gospel. Wow. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Ian, what would you say this appeared in? Satan getting spanked by a sleepy king. Was that in the Midnight Gospel, or was that in a nightmare that I had after watching the Midnight Gospel. That was in the Midnight Gospel episode where he was interviewing the character of Death, and it was near the end before Death uh, 
committed them all to die via ping pong balls. Yes, that is correct. You are one yes. for one. Ian, what about this next one? Drinking coffee poured out of a marble bust of George Washington. I think that's got to be your dream. That was my dream. And yes. because the thing that happened in the show itself was it was hot cocoa and marshmallows out of an indescript president. Oh, okay. I simplified yeah. it in my in my nightmares. I was going to say, I don't remember any specific Americana from the show. Okay, that's good. Three more. What about stood patiently in line with sentient rocks? That was the second episode. No, no, no. That was the third episode where he's interviewing the guy who is a fish head inside of a fish bowl operating a robotic man's body as the rocks for some reason are going into the ear of a giant human being. That would be correct if I said that I pushed through the line of sentient rocks. Wow. No. In me, I was such a basic wet boy that I let all of the rocks pass me in line. In the show, the fishbowl robotic man pushed through all the sentient rocks in order to get to the line in the ear of the giant man that you were thus describing. And it was so that he could become another giant man that could fight the laying down giant man because he slept with the giant man's wife and then they kill each other. And I don't, I don't know how that, I don't know how it came to that, but it did. It, it escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> how about this? Were their feet made out of smiling snakeheads in my dream? Or in the Midnight Gospel. Ooh. I gotta go dream, I think. I don't remember Snakeheads. That was in the Midnight Gospel. In the same episode, uh, Clancy had smiling snakeheads that were his feet as the avatar. And the robot fish man had to find shoes in order to cover up the snakes because Clancy couldn't walk with the snakes as his feet. Okay, that makes sense because in the beginning of that episode, when he goes to that planet... The cats operating the ship, captained by the fishbowl guy, who, of course, was sending them orders via playing a piano or a synthesizer of some kind. They shot up a cop car out of a cannon (laughs) in order to summon this giant snake creature so that they could shoot a guillotine gun at it so that Clancy could... Meet the fishbowl guy. <laughs> and yet you couldn't remember the smiling snakeheads. Yeah, well. Here we go. All right, last one. Did a bear become an alien who then became a bear happen in my nightmare or in the Midnight Gospel? A bear became an alien who then became a bear? Yes. I don't remember any bears, so I'm going to say your dream. That happens in the last episode. What? Yeah. The bear doctors that are taking care of Clancy and his mom as they are having the conversation. At one point, the bear unzips itself to reveal that it's an alien. And then the alien then unzips itself again to reveal that it's also just the same bear. Wow. Um, Yeah. So this brings to mind uh, Duncan Trussell talking about how he saw 
the show hundreds of times as it was being animated and every time heard new things and saw new images that he just didn't notice before. And that makes sense because just an interesting behind the scenes thing about this show is there were like 120 animators on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of like very niche, interesting symbols that they put in or like imagery or creatures or whatever that neither he nor Pendleton Ward ever mentioned should be in the shot. And yet they just took supreme liberties with how weird they could get with some of it. Yeah. I love the editing that almost did happen sometimes like in the episodes themselves like there's one episode where Clancy is interviewing death and death asks Clancy to describe the form of death to death and Clancy (laughs) comes up with this insane combination of things like there's one wacky eye and the body is like a red wagon and there's a bunch of pizza and stuff on it and death turns into this insane thing and death asks is this too much can you edit it back a little bit and clancy goes yeah we could just take out the entire middle and i don't understand why there's a little guy that's attaching itself to the wagon through chains i didn't ask for that like definitely get rid of that i don't even it's fruitless to even try to describe this (laughs) combination of things it's like got pizza stuck to it and it's constantly stepping in poo and the back half is the rhino's back half and there's like a bejeweled claw okay that's enough (laughs) there's much more but these were just some highlights maybe we'll get to some more with some dunzo awards after this commercial break and now a word from our sponsors It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the midnightiest, it could be the gospeliest. Whatever it may be, we have decided to give these shows their just desserts. There are so, so, so many things to talk about with the Midnight Gospel, but each of us get two awards. Ian, what is your first Dunzo Award? My first Dunzo Award goes to you, John, my co-host. It is the Surprise Award, and it's because I'm really surprised that you chose this show. I mean, a lot of the show, the the existentialism, the mindfulness conversations, the trippiness of the animation, uh, Pendleton Ward, it just seems a lot more like my thing. (laughs) Um, I don't know you to be particularly interested in anything involved in this show. So I, I just want to know what it is that really made you want to do it. Well, the show, we'll get into it later, but the show was canceled earlier in 2022, two years after it aired. And I remember watching it early days of the pandemic. I didn't finish it. Um, when I no, first started I watched watching the pilot it. and that was it. Yeah. And 
part of it was I liked what I had seen, but I just didn't have the motivation to finish it. So I wanted a little extra push, a little gumption to try something different. But yeah, I think it was mostly just how out there this show is. And I thought it would make an interesting conversation. And I hope uh, it is proving to be just that. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot to say while I was watching the show. And now that we're talking about it, there's just so much that I don't even know what to say because like I focused on, there was like a year in my life where I like focused on and studied on like the practice of mindfulness and I got a lot out of it. And, you know, mindfulness is all about like paying attention to your thoughts and the way that you emotionally respond to your thoughts and the patterns that you have throughout your life that you didn't think you had control over, but it turns out you do. It's just that you have to break those mind patterns and then you can feel and be different Mm -hmm. um, on top of the spiritual side of the show, which like, I don't know, I feel like we kind of touched on this in Blade this series when we talked about the existentialism of living for forever. Yeah. And I just, it's the kind of thing that can used to keep me up at night. And I think I've found for the most part, my own peace with it. But I just, I feel like you're not super interested in those conversations. Oh, you'd be wrong. Yeah. No, I started in therapy. I've been in therapy for about two years now, and that's been a big part of it for me. It's been the idea of, because to get a little personal, I have had issues with order and control and trying to make sure that everything is manufactured to be as efficient as it possibly can be. Mm. That's just my natural tendency. And so I entered into therapy with the ultimate goal of trying to enjoy the things that are a little bit more chaotic. Mindfulness is just a good way to reset yourself and understand where you are in a place. And it has been very helpful for me just in embracing the chaos. And I think it ultimately the main reason I did it was so that I could enjoy a show like this. So screw all of my other life obligations. This, I guess, is the pinnacle of what I have been able to achieve through mindfulness is actually appreciating this show on some level. So yeah. that's it. All the other stuff is crap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I found their conversation about presence to be particularly um, apt because what people don't realize, they think that a lot of this is just like yippy dippy hipster nonsense speak, which some of it can be. Oh yeah. There's full chunks of the show that I just didn't understand as I was watching it. Oh, like for the conversations. sure. Yeah. Me too. But there's a very practical effect to um, practicing presence. You know, I mean, I've meditated a lot on and off the past four years and if you're somebody that deals with anxiety, it's like one of the first exercises, one of the first tools you're given from a therapist or whoever is trying to help you out is a sensory exercise where like if you're having a panic attack, go through the five senses 
and name five things that you can see, five things that you can hear, five things that you can smell, five things that you're physically touching. Um, all of, uh, What do you taste in your mouth? Because what a lot of anxiety and depression and despair and existential crisis and whatever comes from not being here in the moment. You're worried about something in the future. You're upset about something from the past. So if you literally just focus on what is here in front of you, what you're thinking about, what you're doing, how your body is feeling, what the air smells like, all of a sudden you feel better because you are not living in those past moments or those hypothetical fears. You are just here and now. And it, the more that you focus on that sort of stuff, the calmer people tend to be, or at least the easier it is to be like when you're in an upset state, you can slow things down, take it back and try to be here instead of that bad there, you know? Yeah. The understanding of what anxiety or depression or despair feels like in your body just the recognition of that is just one step towards getting to a place where you can move on from that and process it in a healthy way and i think that is sort of a big thing with the show they have these big conversations about what does presence look like how do you feel things but it's not like self-helpy. It's not like this is what you need to do. It's just about what does this mean for being alive and how can we use that in a way that makes sense for us? There is some of that yippy hippie stuff that I didn't fully resonate with, like the idea of like Eastern ceremonial magic is a big topic in one of these episodes. And this idea of what role does magic take place in our lives and i'm like yeah it's not for me but accepting death accepting illness understanding what is happening around us is sometimes more important than what is happening internally within us that's the kind of stuff that i could take away from and the combination of the conversations with the imagery sort of undercut while also like amplifying all these ideas is just insane to again use a word that i that is too can't simple. use enough yeah 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 i think that's a really good point that sometimes it undercuts what's going on and sometimes it amplifies it in a great way you know sometimes i watch the show and i was so engrossed in the conversation that i didn't like even though i was watching it i didn't see what was going on. I was just listening to what they were talking about and enjoying the conversation. And yeah. other times I was able to distinguish what was going on was a metaphor for what they were talking about. And sometimes it was just nonsense, but you really go in and out of paying attention to those things. So uh, we could talk about this for a long time. John, what is your first Dunzo? My first Dunzo also has to do with me. And that is the lock me up award. And that would be given to me if anyone read my notes on this show without context. Let me give you an example of some of the things that I wrote in a row with one of these episodes. Falls into dog's universe. 
Daniel Hoops' dad is a powerful man. Shoots an arrow with love. Drink all your passion and be a disgrace. Trudy loses love when he gets sucked into a butt. Those were in order things that happened on the show, notes that I took while watching the show. If somebody picked up my phone and looked at the things that I was writing, I would be institutionalized immediately. Yeah, one of the things I wrote down was murders someone with kissing swords. <laughs> you know, like, what is going on? It's the nature of the show, absolutely. But without context, without watching it, without letting it wash over you in all the ways that it could, digesting the show on a reasonable level is a is somehow an exercise in maintaining sanity. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? Um, my second Dunzo Award is the Too Close to Home Award, and that goes to the last episode where Duncan is talking to his mother who has advanced breast cancer. And for what, at that point, she had been told she was going to die in six months for four years. She, she was said like, she had been told a dozen times that she had six months to live and that she knew how much it would cost for herself to be cremated. Right, $750. And uh, I mean, I thought it was great that the death episode was episode seven and episode eight was the birth episode where he talked to his mom about him being born and a lot of baby stuff that turned into this big grand life discussion, which ended with him talking about or them talking about her terminal diagnosis. And, you know, I mean, my, my mom was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, it's not terminal. It's not um, as serious as all that. It hasn't gotten that real. But, I mean, we're recording several days before she has a major surgery, you know. And it definitely hit me with the feels and... Uh, you know, it was it was strangely uplifting to watch though. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of beauty in that last conversation. I yeah. thought um I thought it was especially poignant, you know. I mean, it could just be that his mom has a really uh soothing voice and a really does. nice yeah. perspective and not only is she very nurturing, but she's also like a social psychologist or something like that. And a very spiritual person. Uh, but it did make me feel I don't have a particular religion. I mean, I was raised Catholic and uh, I do like to think of myself as being spiritual, even though sometimes I think about it a lot. Sometimes I don't think about it at all, you know, and I don't like to define anything exactly because I don't truly believe anything, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of ideas and feelings, you know, they're talking about Buddhism and a lot of Eastern philosophy at one point. And they talked about how we're all on a web and there's all these bullet kind of points on the web. And those are our individual consciousnesses. Yeah. And we are all connected. And yet we're as singular entities where everything at the same time. And I do think, like, I don't have to believe in God to 
or a singular God for me to feel spiritual when it comes to that thought process of, in a very practical sense, I think we are all connected. We are all literal protons bumping up against each other on a uh, microscopic level. You know, it is all just one big blanket that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, we are all individuals that have to, that our energy started somewhere and now we're here and then it's going to have to change and be something else later. And it's unavoidable. So we just have to be okay with it. And it's weird. I, I think of it as being practical and spiritual at the same time. There is something to be said about accepting what is happening around us as something that is inevitable, but also real. Like we can't just be nihilistic about what inevitabilities there are. We have to accept that pain is part of the process. Like I think one of the things that I really liked about that conversation between Duncan and his mom, which I mean, they throw out all pretense in that episode. She calls him Duncan consistently in the audio. Yeah, that's right. I didn't, through I didn't that even episode. realize that. Yeah. He he does a really good job, too, as an interviewer of asking the right questions to allow people to expunge on the big, weighty ideas that they talk about. And one of the things when she talks about this inevitability and how we process death, and he goes like, what do we do to work with that and she just goes we cry we just cry because that's sometimes all we need to do and that is a perfectly okay thing it's not this idea of acceptance as something that it is you accept it as something that is terrible but to feel those things is perfectly normal and that sort of stuff is very comforting for me and I hope it was comforting for you as well as you are facing this time of your life. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm glad you brought up the crying part too, because I meant to look this up even earlier, but you know, crying Crying is tears that come out of your eyes because you're either sad or happy. Was that what you were going to look up is because I know the definition of crying. Uh, I was going to look up that there, there is like a chemical reaction in your body that happens when you cry. Like it is, it's a very practical thing to do when you're upset. It releases endorphins and good feelings into your body and your mind. Like there is a reason that we do it. And when people are afraid to cry or, or apologize for it, it's like, no, that's how, that's how you feel better. You feel terrible. Your body's reaction is to cry and then you feel better. So just do it. Yeah. Um, Let the release happen. Let the process work its way through its natural stages. And that was another cool thing I thought about that episode too, was for all intents and purposes, like it is sort of the most simple visually episode that they had. Like you have Duncan and his mom and he gets older and she gets older and she eventually dies. But then when she dies, he then gets pregnant with her and then gives birth to her. And so then he's older than her. And then they just continue their conversation again as they both age. But the conversation is a lot of just the two of them sitting. And yeah, eventually they turn into planets and she gets sucked into a black hole. But it is 
<laughs> I like the way that, you know, their conversation just progressed as them aging. Naturally. Right. It's like, I don't even know if I need to call it a metaphor because it feels pretty direct. Yeah. But, and very personal, too. Yeah. Um, what's your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo is for the image that I will never get out of my head. And there are many images in this one. But the one that I will never get out of my head is in the episode about presence and enlightenment and all of this stuff and taking in everything that is around you and taking joy from your surroundings. Clancy looks over and he sees a butt plug being pulled out of a fly and then the fly gives Clancy a big thumbs up. (laughs) That's something that I'm going to take with me for forever. I think is that image of just a fly having just had a butt plug removed, given a big old smile and a big old thumbs up to camera. Yeah. There was something kind of a Ren and Stimpy after dark, whatever that show is called feel to it. And that was one of those things. To me. Did you have any other sort of random images that stuck out for you as you were watching it? Um, oh man, I'm going to need a second. Uh, oh, the idea of a land of maximum enlightenment and maximum hedonism <laughs> where everyone is completely enlightened and basically only having orgies constantly. I believe there was also a planet called Mercuritaville which I love as just like a Jimmy Buffett type planet that was only orgies. I adored that. Um, one part I really related with in the show was when he is at the top of a slide and there's, it ends at a pool, but there's no water going oh, down yeah. the slide and he starts yeah. to get real chafed. Oh yeah. And that's just like, that is like my biggest nightmare is yeah. actually I went to a water park over the summer And there was one slide in particular that I was like, there better be enough water on this because this is, that's like a horrible specific nightmare of mine is to go down (laughs) a really sticky hot slide like that. Oh man. There are a few things worse than like feeling like you in particular are too big to go down a slide. Like there is (laughs) water to push your fat ass down into a slide like I've gotten not stuck on a slide but I've been stopped on a slide before and it's it's a tough it's a tough reality when were you stopped on a slide there are times when you like the slide itself is just at a flat point and you sit up and you're like oh yeah you have to like scoot yourself forward it's humbling it is makes you reevaluate your life choices Speaking of humbling life choices that make you reevaluate everything, let's take a quick commercial break and talk about why this show got canceled. And now a word from our sponsors. As we previously mentioned, Midnight Gospel dropped in April of 2020 all eight episodes on Netflix. The show wasn't canceled, though, until June of 2022. In that time, The Midnight Gospel had a very positive reaction from both critics and audiences. 
but Netflix decided not to pick it up. Um, there are a couple explanations for this. One of the ones is from Duncan Trussell himself. There was an interview with uh, the publication Inverse, and this is a direct quote from Duncan Trussell. Well, you know, it's Netflix. I think that they're like fishing, right? So they're throwing out a lot of lines. They want to catch a Stranger Things, and that's how they do it. So with The Midnight Gospel, even though it has a wonderful big fan base, it's not like a mega fan base of Stranger Things. So if I had to guess, it would just be a simple business decision. Animation is expensive, and that's why they did it. I have no hard feelings, by the way, because they let us make the thing. It's cheesy to say, but they were the coolest executives I've ever dealt with. They were so collaborative in the best way possible. So it's nice that there was no ill will there. And I think the time that had passed probably did that. I mean, this kind of show, I'm sure they were surprised to be able to make it in the first place. Yeah. And he doesn't really seem like the kind of person to hold too hard of a grudge. No, his podcast is still going strong. It probably did a decent bump to the podcast itself and he is still working in animation i believe he worked on dan Harmon's new show that's coming out early next year so there's still avenues that accelerated the careers of the people involved in it but netflix is also just at a weird point um you know it's losing subscribers for the first time in its history, I think this last quarter it did gain some subscribers, but when it was canceled in June of 2022, it had just come off of like a second consecutive quarter of subscriber losses. And so they are looking at the bottom line. They Netflix themselves, they cut 150 jobs in the beginning of Q2 of 2022, right around when the show was canceled. You know, this show employed nearly 200 people because of its massive scope and the animation style itself. It looks expensive in terms of like an animation show. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure that they just kind of weighed the cost benefit. They were like, yeah, the show was well received. It does have a bit of a fan base. Is this fan base going to generate enough opportunities for us to advance our brand and have people coming back because that is one thing I do want to say about the show too. It's not a show to binge. And I think that that does work against Netflix's overall model. If you watch more than two episodes of the show in a row, I, your brain will fry. Yeah. I, 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 I kept it to three in a row and I was like, I gotta go do something else. Oh really? Yeah. I did like one and I gave myself at least like three hours in between each episode because I just knew that that's what I needed in order to process it. Well, you know, the first two episodes actually went down fairly quickly for me, but then- They're also fairly quick episodes too. The first two are only like 20, 22 minutes, but the rest are like 25, 26, 27. The last and, one's 37 too. Oh, I didn't even realize that, but at yeah. least that one was like, that one was ultra compelling to me though, so that felt fine. But- yeah. Otherwise, the middle ones felt a bit long. And I mean, I did watch the pilot the first time it came around and it was just too much for me to watch. But um, I wasn't exactly sober when I watched it the first time. And I've got to say, it is surprisingly easier to watch sober. 
I would completely agree with that. I think if you watched it on any sort of drugs, that it would be impossible to follow. The nature of it and each episode actually is relatively linear, despite all of the insane things that we've said over the last 70 minutes. But yeah, if your mind was altered in any way, I can't imagine comprehending this on any rational level. So Netflix didn't put anything out about this show being canceled. It was just from Duncan. It was just from Duncan. Uh, I think they might have had a pretty boilerplate statement, but they never said anything about ratings or anything like that. I think it was a special show to a group of people. It had a lot of talent and accolades from people that worked on it, but the show itself didn't get any like awards buzz or anything like that. So if you don't have anything to substantiate it, especially in the, I mean, they gave it a decent amount of time. They gave it two years before they canceled it, which is more than they have done for some other recent shows. Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Yeah, exactly. Do you ever feel this sometimes when it comes to watching Netflix shows? Like when you give up on one, you're like, I'm dooming this. I'm dooming this show right now. I know exactly what you mean. I'm feeling that about only watching the pilot of this show. I'm like, oh, I, I watched it once, didn't watch it again. And they saw a million people do that. And that's why yeah. it didn't come back. So with that being said, Ian, having now watched all eight episodes, would you renew? I would renew. It's very dense at first, but actually I felt like because you don't have to actually focus on very much of it. Like you can focus on whatever part of it you want and it's built like that. So if you just want to listen to the podcast, you know, which is the show, like you can do that. If you want to tune in for some cool visualizations, you can do that. There's a childlike element to it that I think is fun, but there is an adult heavy, heady realness to it that I think is really hard to make entertaining otherwise. I was surprised at how entertained I was, and I was surprised at how much it made me think. And it actually made me kind of happy to tap into that part of myself a little bit more that I feel like I've been neglecting for a little while. So yeah, I'm totally the right audience for this. I also think Pendleton Ward is a genius. And although I don't know what season two would be, I guess I guess more audio from the podcast, but I trust it to be good because I think Pendleton Ward can do whatever he wants, frankly. Yeah, the season two, Duncan Trestle said, would have dove deeper into the lore of the show and expanded the simulated universes for Clancy. We also sort of end on a bit of a cliffhanger in that we don't know whether or not Clancy dies at the end of the final episode. The The last line of the show is really interesting because... He's Clancy is like trying to interview somebody that's on this bus after he went into the simulator fully and the simulator exploded and he 
pulls out his microphone and he's like, hey, can I interview you? He's like, wait, am I dead? And the person he's about to interview just says, just be here now. Right. And it it really hammers home, I feel like, a lot of the themes of the, the show. I did have a bit of an interpretation of the end of the show based on Stephen Root's character, who is oh, yeah. the neighbor who grabs his children and and is like, oh, my God, we're going to die, like, and jumps it. He He's like, kids, we're going to live in the simulator now and jumps into the simulator. So I think that even if the simulator blows up and even if they were going to die, they can live out a full life in the simulator that could last 60 simulated years, let's say, while in real terms, they burn up in a fire in three minutes. Does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's the way I saw it. Um, John, would you renew? I would absolutely renew. Wow. I think that this is a really special show. Like I said, it's not something that I would say watch all of in a night. It is something that I think is best spaced out. And I actually kind of would disagree a little bit with you about what makes the show work in terms of like you said, you could like watch the podcast part of it. You could watch the visualization of it. For me, it was the alchemy of everything together that makes it special. Like the way that the visuals play off of the stories and the conversations in ways that are consistently surprising and engrossing. I think it's everything pulled together that makes it as special as it is. I saw this one quote from an LA Times review, I think, that called it an ambitious, extraordinary, dreadful, beautiful thing. And I thought that was a perfect way to describe this experience. Yeah. Give it a go. It's on Netflix. It's pretty short. It is interesting, though, that I think that spacing it out makes you kind of forget that it exists because it is just such a sort of sensory experience. Just don't forget it. It's there. And come back to it when you feel like diving into that part of yourself again, that you might not necessarily think is something that's right at the surface. I think that there's a lot that the show offers that people will be compelled by. Yeah. I feel like the pilot actually is a little bit misleading as to what the show becomes. At least yeah. the conversation that they have. I think so. The pilot is the most sort of literal conversation, whereas everything else is much more... Metaphysical. Metaphysical, yes. That's the word I'm looking for. So I feel like there's somewhere in the middle where it's like, maybe don't space it out too much because if they're t- the one conversation builds onto another conversation and then goes really deep, I think, into like episode six when they're in the prison where everyone's going insane, ripping out their own tongues, you know, like uh, that is that episode is like the Greek mythology of the guy who keeps getting 
his liver eaten by a crow or whatever it is. The imagery in that evokes that. Yeah, the episode is essentially following this prisoner who keeps trying to escape, dies, then keeps having to do it until basically he gets it right without killing anyone. And eventually he gets out and he falls off of a cliff and gets impaled. Well, they all die at the end. That's that's part of the show and that's part of uh, the movie John Dies at the End. John Tucker Must Die? No, no. There's something called Blank Dies at the End. It is a movie called John Dies at the End. Yes. Well, I assume John Dies at the End, unlike the end of this podcast. Uh, I hope. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no, John. Remember me as I was. Don't look through my phone. Ooh, yeah. He didn't say anything about his browsing history, though. Ian, where can people find us? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social. Uh, and I messed it on, but I don't know. I haven't really been doing anything on there. We'll see who wins this new social media war that's being waged. I myself am looking forward to the bloodbath. You can email us at oneanddonepod at gmail.com. Um, tell us why this show is terrible and why mindfulness is a bad practice and why Duncan Trussell should shave his beard. And his episode is the worst episode of the funnier die version of <laughs> drunk history. Uh, whatever, just interact with us. And also, if you're going to submit episode uh, suggestions, please email us. It's a little bit easier for me to keep track of them that way. And uh, also, buy yourself a Lodge Pan Scraper and Venmo me at Hamel Chin. And, you know, I recommend doing a little bit of meditating, some breathing exercises. Even if you're not into mindfulness, maybe just some presence exercises, I think is good for everybody. John, uh, what do you have to plug? Hug your loved ones. Enjoy the things that are around you, especially since we are going to be off next week. I think that that should be said. Uh, we are taking a break from the show temporarily as Ian goes on his honeymoon. Yeah. Woot woot. We're going to be, be great. across the world in Sydney and Melbourne, Australia. Come back with an accent or don't come back at all. Can do. We're going to be releasing a crossover episode we did with our friends at Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. And then we will be back one week later with a very special Christmas episode. Until then, Ian, see you in the simulator, bud. I got nothing. But that's okay. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.